Welcome to Man in the Making. I just went right there and did it, Roka. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't expect that, honestly. Day three of um, no coffee. So I'm loving it. What made you decide to do that? My my system was like shutting down. Uh, my I think I was going, undergoing adrenal fatigue from... Uh, too much caffeine, not enough sleep, not enough really solid sleep. And then, you know, with not enough sleep, not enough recovery from all the athletics going on. So I had to had to go out do a detox here. Anyway, I asked the um, I asked some readers on Facebook and Instagram for any questions or topics. So We'll look at that up. We'll update that throughout the show. See if anything comes through. If you haven't gotten anything, have some questions. No, nothing yet from the people. Okay. So I'll begin with mine. Shoot. Okay. Um, I want to talk about the polarity of masculinity and femininity. The so, polarity. Yes. So to begin... What traits make a masculine man and a feminine woman? All right. So this goes, are you, are you trying to get beyond biology here? You're trying to get into um, psychology or probably. So as an example, social let's say science. a man needs to be a leader, needs to be decisive, those sort of things. Okay. Well, first off, people are going to get super offended by that. Women also need to be leaders and decisive it's it's an interesting subject both people both sexes need the same traits they can have obviously they can have all of the same traits um i'll clarify i meant in a relationship oh okay yeah okay because i realized you were talking about as a whole yeah, so we have to go pc a little bit because well and i'm not and, and i'm sensitive to those topics because i work with people in that world and i you deal with women ceos just as much as men and everything and and i think it's harder on women to be ceos i think it's harder on women to take on a lot of worldly stress um than men i think men handle stress differently not better or worse but notice i said differently um so but in a relationship there is definitely a line you want to draw as to character traits because two of the same people don't work that well you a man in a relationship should really be the one who takes on more stress without expression or reaction. And I know that, that that's considered an old school belief system. Obviously, men can like cry and stuff. Men can emote and express themselves. However, too much of that and you will 
run into security issues because the woman in the relationship or the the feminine the feminine presence in the relationship because remember this can be it can be two men it can be two women it doesn't matter masculine and feminine is is not specific to body all of the time it's it's specific to energy and how we and how energy output works so if you have two men chances are there's going to be a masculine uh, man and a and a more feminine or a feminine man in the in the relationship. Okay, you're usually not going to have two masculine people or two feminine people. When that happens, you have more of a friendship. More of a friendship happens. More of a roommate type experience. You want the polar opposites because it makes things uh, fit like a puzzle. You want those differences, right? The differences help everything fit together very well. Now, masculine traits tend to be more, more protective, more assertive, uh, maybe, ideally. Um, well, okay, I'll rephrase. What makes a good masculine man in a relationship? Well, I guess that that's a good question. And that that's, I think I was giving that naturally. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't give like bad character traits. Um, men, to, I mean, men tend to be more geared towards alcoholism. Right. So th that, but that's not a trait that I would, that, that I would give um, because that's not ideal. What I'm saying is an ideal uh, masculine presence is a sponge for stress and emotions okay a, a, that absorbs um so so that's naturally a protective presence of order right the feminine presence is one more of chaos uh one more of, of expression also protective but but not protective of the same things in the same way masculine presence are more guidance feminine presence is more support but that's not to say these lines don't blend and interweave they do and it's a very dynamic thing but for example in a relationship a masculine presence needs to be able to take the stress of the feminine presence a, a, a man will need to take the the chaoticness of a woman and absorb it and not react to it and just be there as this like solid post of i don't know why uh, absorption is like the best thing i can think of because that's true i mean women are women are kind of crazy and they know that but it but if the man starts acting just the same way and starts doing the same things it's just going to be too chaotic forces in the same house so um, emotional stability yes yeah yes yeah. stability that's that's the post and thing word i was thinking of sponge but also uh stability whereas uh a woman fluctuates a lot more they do i mean by design actually because yeah. hormones the monthly yeah, things exactly well i mean things, it's yeah. a chemical there's a chemical imbalance uh 
once a month. I mean, it's just a natural cycle for women to be thrown off due to hormonal shifts. Men don't have the same hormonal shift. So what I'm talking about is, is a mix of experience, spiritual education, because the, the masculine and feminine energies are like the, the core foundation of understanding spiritual biology and biology itself. I mean, with, with these different chemical compounds going on in people's bodies. And, and you can see it too in child, in raising a child, like with Maya. Uh, Maya is different with me than she is with, with Helena. And she's only seven months old, but she's, she knows already that she can be, she can be rougher with me. She, she actually starts to play fight with me, but she won't do that with Helena. So the masculine presence definitely has more of a, a rougher type. I don't know. It's more of that. I think that rough protective barrier that keeps chaos at bay. So for example, when you're a single mother and you hear this all the time, I hear this all the time. So it, it is anecdotal, but it's also, uh, I'm hearing it more and more uh, the older I get. A single mother will be um, rough and soft, like protective and supportive. She'll be both masculine and feminine. And it's weird when you have two of these traits in the same person that are both dominant because they have to be because there is no man um, or there is no masculine presence in the home they're forced to be both and i think more times than not it creates a tough woman it, it creates a hardened tough woman and my sister is that way and it's very interesting uh, i don't recommend it I think women would be happier if they were allowed to be who they are. And you can only find that out if, and again, maybe, maybe that's who they are, right? I'm not saying they should be a certain way. I'm saying people are happiest when they act out the role that is most natural to them. When they figure themselves out and they act that way, that's what makes them the happiest. Some women are just naturally um, motherly from like the age of four, like they just love children and babies and being around them and that, that, that just sticks with them. Um, and that's amazing. And that should be cultivated. Some women aren't naturally motherly. It is what it is, but knowing that is the power, um, behind living a good life, not necessarily saying, well, these are the ideal traits that you should try to have. You should try to figure yourself out. And if you fit into those stereotypical uh, traits, then great. If you don't, which some people don't, then that's fine too. Um, but it should be noted that these are typical common traits. And, and there are some people who, who don't fit into those. So what, what else? Um, I noticed uh, masculine traits, they don't, they don't talk as much. They're more closed, uh, closed loop. They like ideas. So in a relationship, there's closed loop. Actually, I should write a book about uh, closed loop and open loop. There's closed loop thinking and open loop thinking. And I haven't necessarily heard this anywhere. I kind of just came up with it over my 
travels and experience with people. But you have the you have closed loop men or masculine energy that wants to take an idea or a concept or a, a problem and close it and, and leave nothing left um, of it that in that day as much as they can. Sink is broken uh, or there's a drip in the sink. They're, they want to figure it out. This type of mind, this type of masculine energy wants to figure it out, <clears throat> fix it and be done with it. Um, open loop tends to be more feminine. There can be an idea or a concept thrown out and no answer is needed or required. It can just be floating in a vague type bubble, thought bubble throughout the house. And it's okay if it's, if it's just left as it is. And, and women tend to do that more than men. For an example, in a conversation or a problem, a woman will give a problem or say something that is causing anxiety. The man or the masculine energy doesn't necessarily need to solve anything. And if they try to solve it, it usually gets worse, right? So a closed loop is trying to, trying to uh, force a closed loop on an open loop person or, or idea. And that doesn't work so well. Uh, and that will make the open loop person more, more anxiety, give them more anxiety or stress. So really men should be very good listeners. And that, again, that's a part of that stability, that sponge characteristic where you, you absorb a lot of data and organize it. See, if men are kind of chaotic and don't organize things real well, you have chaos. It's just too much. It, it's, it's static key. Uh, and men, I, I think men should be clean. I think they should be cleaner than women. I think they are. I think they should put things away, fold their clothes, because there has to be someone in the house that is organized and not not cluttered i think that's important as well two messy um, people will just they'll just be terrible is spontaneity chaotic spontaneity yeah yeah i would say so definitely so then a man being spontaneous isn't a masculine trait then i don't yeah i don't find many men to be spontaneous um, I think it's considered a good thing if you can be spontaneous, uh, but it's not normal. In I don't think it's normal in a masculine force, but I do recommend um, when people find out who they are and they, they develop a bit of self-mastery, they have the ability to be spontaneous. And using that is, is beneficial at times. Other times it's not. And for finding out who they are, would you first go through, try the traditional means? So let's say when I find out what a masculine man is, those traits, then try adapt them to myself. And then those traits just don't fit right with me. Then I know that's who I am. Is that like I think the way to go around it? I think that's one way to do it. It just, that might be putting the cart before the horse. Uh, I recommend probably just going through self-discovery and not 
trying to fit into a mold first, but fitting into the mold after the fact as a, as a byproduct or a natural consequence of, of self-discovery. So when you go through a process of, of losing things, getting rid of things, living, being minimalistic in both mind and body, learning, going through that self-education, um, exploring the things that, you know, your proclivities, the things that you naturally prefer, uh, having more, being more alone and being comfortable with yourself. Once you get to that point, then you kind of, you, you fit into a certain mold at that point, but you didn't see the mold first. I think that would be better. Does that make sense? I think that would be better, more natural. Not saying, not, not doing the thing where you're like, I should be this way and this way, because you may not be that way <clears throat> naturally. It just may not be, you know, not every man <clears throat> is suited for every masculine trait and, and vice versa for women. So not vice versa, but same thing for women. Not every woman fits into every feminine trait. Um, sometimes they have masculine traits too. So once we find that stuff out um, and not try to fit into a mold, then we know who we are a lot better and we work well with someone. See, that's why in a relationship, you want to know who you are, because let's say you're, let's say you're dating someone, let's say a guy is dating a, a woman and he is figured, he, he's figured himself out pretty well. He's on a good path in life and uh, there's no drama or anything in his life. So he's dating a woman and he sees certain masculine traits in the woman. And instead of those bringing a red flag, let's say he knows that he himself is has some feminine traits, right? So her, her masculine traits will actually fit well with his feminine traits. Maybe he's like a softer kind of guy. Maybe he's not into sports, um, but maybe she is. There's a, there's a balance there. And the roles can be reversed at that time. And then maybe over time, those roles shift a little bit and they both have to flow from masculine to feminine. Um, I think even a masculine type woman will prefer a masculine man eventually. Maybe that masculine barrier or was maybe that masculinity in the woman was a um, was like a shield for the world. You know, and then when she maybe when she gets settled down, has kids or something, maybe she actually shifts and turns more feminine and wants to be taken care of more, um, wants that more stability from the from her partner instead of her providing it. I don't know. I've I've seen that uh, it, in different uh, client cases, um, but people people shift sometimes, and and ironically the man kind of needed to be more masculine in the long run. So take that for what it is, but I'm not, but I don't, I'm not recommending to force anything. I'm not recommending every guy go to a masculinity training boot camp type thing and uh, start chopping down trees with an ax. You know, I'm just, what I would recommend is that the process of self-discovery trying the axe and chopping down a tree and seeing how it makes you feel. Um, and if it's totally alien to you, 
then now, now you know at least who you are at that moment. Maybe that changes. Maybe it doesn't. I remember the first time I fell the tree with a chainsaw. It was awesome. <laughs> but not everyone is going to be into that. I mean, it, it's pretty dangerous. You feel like you're going to die if the tree's big enough. It's just some people would rather not go through that. Um, I was asking those questions before because for someone trying to discover themselves who comes from a broken household, I'm assuming you'd know what that implies. Or should I go further into that? Well, I understand what you mean, but because I know your your personal story, obviously the hundred downloads okay. that this episode's gonna get over time, those people might not necessarily um know, so let's say in simple people. terms. Uh, growing up, let's say you were just a single mother without a masculine uh, role model in your life. Um, right, so you have the hard, hardened woman. Yeah, but you don't... Which you, okay, yeah, what were you going to say? Well, which, which you, you experienced that. Mm-hmm. And who I thought I was is now different, and I see it was flawed. Even though at the time I thought how it was was the right way, through the process of experiences you phrased it as self-discovery so through self-discovery through experiences in the real world i got to shape myself into a more comfortable me as in someone i'm more comfortable with and i see is better for the world than what i was if that makes sense yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense so yeah for those who grew up in a broken household. Yeah, I was just wondering how they would go about that self-discovery. So I think you answered that, right? Yeah, I mean, Aristotle <clears throat> Aristotle also answers that. In the Nicomachean Ethics, he says he has a law, and we've talked about that. I, I reference this a lot. He has the law of the deficient, the mean, and the excessive. And the point of that law is to shape someone's character, depending on uh, no matter where they are on their uh, spectrum. So of anything, their, their spectrum of character trait, let's say he takes, for example, an angry person. Uh, if an angry person needs to change or finds out they need to change, right? Uh, anger is just not working for them then they have to go on the opposite end of the spectrum to eventually find out where they where they land and where they end up and usually he says if you're excessive you have to go to deficient you have to go to you know being extremely humble kind nice maybe even a bit too much right way too much and just go super soft to the point where maybe you can be manipulated by someone else. And then you end up, you, you, he says, you naturally fail and end up somewhere in the middle, in the mean, as an, in the average. And so that, that angry person would overcompensate to softness and then end up somewhere in the middle and balance out. So that's, that's Aristotle's recommendation in a whole, in a whole work that is about character traits and then how someone should be yeah i mean i coming from a similar situation of a, of a single mother you know you have a tough woman 
who's playing both roles and finding out that who I was becoming was not the way you're supposed to be. You have to kind of accept that, which is very difficult, accept that you're wrong and you've been shaped you've been shaped by the social mirror, which is everything outside of you and that you have to rewrite your own script. And that process is the self-discovery process. It's like, first you acknowledge you need to be something else. Then you go down that self-discovery path of, of who you should be and who you are deep down inside. And then you start to be that person in real life situations, which sometimes is very difficult because it can feel like you're just acting or pretending I mean, I have moments where, you know, when I was working with other people in the monastery, going off of being this narcissistic um, hardhead to trying to be this humble individual who is harmonious with everyone, you have to kind of, you know, sometimes you have to pretend and say, okay, I'm not supposed to say anything here. I'm supposed to believe that this person is right. You have to kind of play it out. And then find out how it feels to play it out. And when everything goes well, you're like, oh, okay. So that worked. That's how to not be a jerk. You know, like, oh, I let other people decide what we do and how the project goes and blah, blah, blah. I don't have to necessarily talk in every situation. And then you do that because you don't know. You, you don't just shift overnight and say, okay, I'm going to be this way. You have to enter into a situation and think, okay, so I'm supposed to actually do this, this, and this. And you can kind of see yourself from an outside perspective, right? It's, there's a detachment there. And you're pretending. You don't really know what you're doing. And you don't tell anyone, right? Unless you're like an alcoholic or something. Then you, that's a common thing is to tell people. But you don't necessarily say, hi, I used to be a narcissist, so I'm actually going to like not say anything and not be a jerk here. Uh, you just you just pretend. And then depending on the outcome, if you like the outcome, it, you convince yourself that that's how you should be. It, it, life is just full of like self-convincing because you don't yet know that it's true. So you have to just go for it. Convince yourself that that's a good thing. And then it becomes a habit. It's not a habit before then. So that's the process of making something a habit. Life is full of self-convincing. Nice. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Would seem so. That happens a lot in a relationship because even the two people that are ideally, you know, self-discovered, they're self-discovered as individuals. Self-discovery in a relationship is another process of convincing you have to figure out how the puzzle works and then try it but you don't necessarily know unless you've been in like a ton of relationships and actually that that's kind of common isn't it like i see a lot of people who are 40s 50s they're like two marriages in two divorces in or something and you hear them say that they finally kind of figured things out and how to be with someone. And then they get into a really kind of nice relationship as an older person. I see that a lot. I talk to a lot of people that are like that. And the problem with their earlier relationships was that they were too stubborn 
to pretend and like try to convince themselves that they were they needed to try something else they they stood their ground and they thought that that's what they were supposed to do but in a relationship if you have to stand your ground right if you have to affirm your own boundaries you have to really make sure that that it's a worthwhile boundary and it's not stupid it's difficult the life man, navigating through life is constant uh constant discovery and education to think that it's all figured out is is pretty is pretty insane i love that about life stuff yeah yeah that's the point yeah it's an adventure if, if you had it all figured out you wouldn't even need need to exist all right so i seem to have found a, a nicomachean ethics quote and uh it must have been worth saving because I saved it. So here's here's actually a little bit inside the mean, the deficient, and the excessive. So after after Aristotle has kind of uh, gone through and, and explained it, I think this is how he ends. And so it is hard to be good. For surely hard it is in each instance to find the mean. Just as to find the mean point or center of a circle is not what any man can do, but only he who knows how. Just so to be angry, to give money and be expensive is what any man can do and easy. But to do these things to the right person in due proportion at the right time with a right object and in the right manner, this is not as before what any man can do, nor is it easy. And for this cause, goodness is rare and praiseworthy and noble. So I like that. That's, that's a big one for me. Because um, none of these things that we talk about are easy, really. It's all hard. And that's the point. It's, it's rare. It's difficult. It's definitely praiseworthy. And it's a noble pursuit. So it, he says here in the beginning, it, it is hard in each instance to find the mean. In each instance of life. In each moment. It's difficult to find the balance of a situation. We can't expect perfection all the time. But it's easy. He goes on to say it's easy to be angry. It's easy to give money. It's easy to be expensive. Anyone can do that. Um, but to do it with balance in the right situation, right person, right time, in the right way, that's, that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to figure out. That process is, is, is also self-discovery. To not have any regrets of a situation. And for that to happen, to, you have to be so present in the moment. And that's really where Zen comes in. You just have to be so present that the situation doesn't 
fly by you and you don't understand what happened. Uh, and you want to almost pause or freeze time. You want to be in a suspended animated state when something is happening to you or around you. And you can say, okay, I'm digesting. I'm literally digesting all of the data that is coming at me right now. And I understand what's going on. And I think that's one of the ways to think about the Nicomachean ethics and to think about the scale of average uh, deficient and excessive. I think that's one of the best ways to think about a relationship, no matter who you are, what kind of character traits you have, especially in a relationship with someone else. Pause. You know, are you doing the right thing or are you being dumb? Can you ask yourself that question in the middle of a situation as it's happening? And if you can avoid being continuing being dumb and, and being stubborn and you can like pause and just go with the flow for a second, then that is a, that is like a foundational thing that will get you out of every negative experience, almost every negative experience, or at least provide some next step as to what, what to do. Every time I read something, I just, I try to save quotes from it. So there's some good stuff here. All right. So uh, since you brought up relationships, there's a, uh, there's a philosopher, or there was a philosopher named Musonius Rufus. All right. And he, he kind of philosophized about relationships. So listen to this. This was written uh, like a few thousand years ago. In marriage, there must be complete companionship and concern for each other on the part of both husband and wife. Complete companionship. So right away, he's giving two character traits that everyone has. Both people have companionship and concern for each other. In health and in sickness and at all times, because they entered upon the marriage for this reason as well as to produce offspring, okay? So he adds another condition there. Children are a part of it. When such caring for one another is perfect and the married couple provide it for one another and each strives to outdo the other. I love that part, right? Each strives to outdo the other. Then this marriage is it as it ought to be and deserving of emulation since it is a noble union. And we've talked about that before on the show. Ideally in a relationship, you never settle. And I'll both do people, each other in what way? Like, well, there's a competitiveness there. There's but a, in what way? let's say um, in caring, in compassion, in, in loving uh, expression, um, you know, I'm going to outdo the breakfast that Helena made for me the other day. I'm going to, I'm going to um, put, you know, I'm going to put more flowers on the counter than I have before. I'm going to make sure that, you know, 
I take more care of Maya so that that Helena doesn't feel stressed out, right? So I'm constantly taking the good qualities of myself and of the relationship and of the situation and, and competitively trying to outdo it, outdo the last thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I just wanted you to clarify because some people might take it the wrong way. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. But when one partner looks to his own interests alone and neglects the other, or the other is so minded that he lives in the same house, but keeps his mind on what is outside it and does not wish to pull together with his partner or to cooperate, then inevitably the union is destroyed. And although they live together, their common interests fare badly, and either they finally get divorced from one another or they continue on in an existence that is worse than loneliness. So you have to be mindful of your individual pursuits when you're in a relationship. So I don't remember this other quote from him. I have one more. He, he wrote a, 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 a something called how to live. I've, I've read, I've read part of it, I guess, because I saved a quote from it, but I don't remember anything. So let's just see what I have here. Uh, husband and wife should come together to craft a shared life. I like that to craft a shared life. Pro procreating children, seeing all things as shared between them with nothing withheld or private to one another, not even their bodies. The birth of a human being, which results from this union is to be sure something wonderful, but it isn't yet enough to account for the relationship of husband and wife, since even outside marriage, it could result from any other sexual union, just like animals. So in marriage, there must be, above all, perfect companionship and mutual love. So he's pretty big on this companionship idea. Both in sickness, health, and under all conditions, it should be with desire for this and children that both entered upon marriage. Pretty, I mean, pretty basic, right? But very nice to read. Very nice to hear that kind of thing. And it's unfortunate when in my work with clients like that companionship is gone and that basic kind of care for one another is gone or it's not gone entirely but there has been enough arguments and fighting or whatever that the idea of that they once knew or once had is lost and this idea of companionship and caring for one another, it's gone for the moment. And if that happens too many times, you forgot it was even there. And it's so nice to see. I recently had uh, clients that were like on two different, different planes of existence. They were very offish with each other. And then they ended up, you know, through a series of sessions uh, came back and then like, 
you could see them become one again and start to joke around again and be comfortable with each other. And that was really nice to see. It's just so basic, you know, remembering why you started it. And uh, I don't know. It's really nice to see. It's really hard to see when two people, especially when it's been going on for so long, that they just parted ways somewhere along the journey and uh, can't find a way back to each other. Well, I think those two quotes, um, I think those three quotes tie in nicely to what you were, yeah, what, what you started out with, <laughs> kind of round everything out. Agreed. That was nice. All right. A relationship episode. Haven't done those in a while. One of those. Yeah. Yeah. Outro. I will add that Zen Mind Academy is amazing. I have been doing the meditation course for a while now. And for a while I was doing 21 minutes each uh-huh. day, but now I've gone to 25 minutes each day. And it just, yeah, I love it. Oh, good. <laughs> That's good to hear. Um. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I guess uh, want to leave the uh, book promotion with everyone. Want to talk about um, Everything is Your Fault on Amazon, available now. Um, that book is an explanation of what I did for the last 12 years, along with what I learned <clears throat> on how to um, how to get along with other people. You could listen to this show. Um, you know, you could watch a lot of things on YouTube, but the, but reading something, I think cements it in your mind. And I have heard good things from the book. We're getting good, good reviews. And it's, it's a, it's a book that is, seems to be making people think about um, some of the things that they they blame on other people um, or other situations and sort of make themselves powerless. And I keep finding that it it's a big relationship one. It's a big uh, personal discovery type rule. Being everything your, is your fault really forces you to take some responsibility even when it feels like everything is everyone else's fault. It's just, it doesn't have to be that way. It's, you can actually take responsibility for everything and you don't have to be upset. You don't have to be um, depressed. You can be like first happy, first you get happy. And then you can kind of devote some more time to being content. And I think the book strives to do that with, with everyone is, is to bring contentment to people through this self-discovery process. And so it's on Amazon, it's available around the world and I recommend it. Yeah. So appreciate everyone that, that gives it a read And if you do, please leave a review on uh, wherever you bought it. And that helps the algorithms 
bring it to the top. And um, I think if everyone who downloaded, so with all the download data that we have on this show, if, if, if we had a hundred percent buy rate, I would, I would be like a national bestseller, <laughs> but we're not there yet. Um, so we want to see that really, that book really helps uh, support everything that I'm doing. And it helps my publisher as well. My publisher takes a cut, but um, it helps spread the, my message, I guess, and the message of, of self-responsibility. So let us know uh, how it went for you and, and always reach out and um, more topics on the show. You're, you're uh, always free to let us know what to talk about, questions to answer or try to answer, or we can even have a conversation with each other if you want to be on the show. So thank you, Rokas. Thank you, Tuvash. And until next time. We'll see you next time.